Hello. I'm going to talk on a subject that's very close to a lot of people, and that is overcoming loneliness. In our society, it's strange with all the sensory stimuli that we have, with all the crowds around us, with all the opportunities we have for uh, at least mentally being with other people by turning on the television, turning on the radio, uh, getting in the car and going where people are. Loneliness is a very big problem. And I'd like to address this in a way that's very different from what you might expect. Because usually people's answer to the question of loneliness is, well, go out and uh, join a singles club, go out where there are people, be with others, get to know your neighbors, that sort of thing. I'm remembering, on the contrary, once many years ago, in a monastery where I was living, where all the monks decided that they wanted to become more of a, a team, sort of get to know each other, have an esprit de corps. And so we used to play volleyball together, go on outings together, go up skiing together. Then, some, then we tried uh, listening to music together and uh, going to a movie together, playing, talking, whatever it might be, together. And we felt nice about it, but it didn't really do very much. And if we hadn't tried this next thing, we might have thought, well, yeah, that's fine. But then we suddenly got an inspiration. And for one week, we didn't speak. For one week, we kept silence. We'd write each other notes in our work. We would sort of make gestures at the table, I need the butter, whatever it might be. But we didn't talk to each other. You would think that in that silence, we would have cut ourselves off from one another. What actually happened was that we felt much closer to each other than we had ever felt before. We somehow felt as if we were all one through that silence. Because, you see, when we talk too much, when we make too much noise, when our bodies do too much, there isn't that deeper communication. We communicate much more than we realize on a level of thought, on a level of vibration, on a level of feeling. The subtle things pass us by. We hear all the shouting and the noise, and we don't hear the whispered commentary that goes on on a deeper than conscious level even, but goes on in our minds all the time. We, see, we speak, we don't listen. And so we talk, but we don't communicate. Why are we lonely? Because I think in too much crowds, we emphasize our separateness. There's a difference between being lonely and being alone. We're all of us alone, and that's something we need to learn to face. John Donne said, no man is an island. He send, said, send not to ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee when somebody dies, because that person's death, in a way, is your death. Another person's joy is also your joy. Another person's, person's fulfillment is partly your fulfillment. We are all part of a single reality. Now, why did he say, no man is an island because every man, every woman, every human being is a part of a much greater reality. But on the other hand, why did he have to say we are not islands? Because in a way, we all think of ourselves as islands. And in a sense, in a human sense, we are. That is to say, here you are, your little island, and you look across a vast expanse of ocean and you don't see other islands. They're over the horizon. 
And so you feel that you're alone in this world. In a way, nobody can really know you. In a way, nobody can really know what you're thinking and feeling. In a way, people always read signs, but don't get back to the reality, the true person behind those signs, so that they misread even your simplest remarks. You say something meaning one thing, and they take it in a completely different way because they're coming from their realities. We're all alone. We come into this world naked and alone. We leave it naked and alone. We leave it and everything in it and go off into an unknown reality. And whereas when we come into this world, everybody welcomes us, and let us hope we die and everybody grieves that we go, but at the same time as they're welcoming us, look at the little babies looking around them, trying to sort of come to grips with a reality that's strange to them. With people in their own family that they're still strangers, they have to learn their language, have to learn how to communicate with them, have to learn who they are. And then gradually they build this nice comfortable little cocoon around them that we grow up with and that we try keep on trying to surround ourselves with having our own little home, our own little room, our own little possessions, our own little comfortable habits, our own little close circle of friends. All of these are cocoons that we create in an effort to protect ourselves against that vast open sea around us. But in our still moments, we have to recognize that even that cocoon is not ourself. Even that cocoon is, is a stranger. We are alone. We are alone in our most intimate moments. But we don't have to be lonely. And that experiment that we made in that monastery was very interesting because, in a sense, we were cutting ourselves off from one another. We were communicating as little as necessary and living in a, a little built-in world of quiet, of silence. And yet, in that, we found that we were communicating on another level. And so, in aloneness, in acceptance of this aloneness within ourselves, we reach another level. In other words, when John Donne said, no man is an island, what he was trying to do was to get us to that level of reality, where we stop thinking of ourselves as separate. We don't define ourselves as an island. An island, if you look at it above the sea, is a little bump of land. But an island, if you look at it in its totality, you know the highest mountain in the world? Can you guess? It's not Mount Everest. It's the island of Hawaii. From the base of that mountain all the way to its summit, it's taller than Mount Everest. I forget whether the figure is 32 or 33,000 feet. We are all very different from what we appear above the surface. That is to say, from our physical appearance, the clothes we're wearing, the language we speak, the things we've done, etc. Our reality extends down to a level where it touches the same earth that produces all the other islands that are other human beings. And in that reality, what we discover is something that when we understand we're a part of that and are not an island, we are this earth of which this little island of self-expression is only an expression, an example, you might say, then we find that in truth, 
Another person's death is ours. Another person's life is ours. Another person's joys and sorrows are ours. We don't have to uh, go up and down with all the waves of their emotions, but if we feel them on a deep enough level, like the ocean underneath all the waves on the, uh, on the sea, on its surface, then we find that we can tune in to who they are and what they are and what they're experiencing without being personally affected by it, and yet feeling it, we're able to help them, to help the sorrowful, to help the lonely, to help those who are in uh, great pain physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever. It is in the recognition that we are something more than this island, and not in affirming, uh, to use, to coin a word, our islandness. In other words, the cure for loneliness is not being more of an island by getting out there and sort of surrounding yourself and affirming your closeness to other islands. Whether you like it or not, they're still over the horizon. You may, doubt it, you may not feel that because you feel close to certain people. It's only on a deeper level that we can understand how very much alone we are. But I don't want to cut that, that intimacy out of your life. I don't mean to uh, affirm uh, uh, an estrangement where none exists on a certain level. What I'm saying is that on a deeper level, that does exist. It's really between you and the universe. I've often thought about the difference between the music of uh, India and the music in the West. You see, Indian music is only melodic. You'll listen to an Indian ensemble that can, will consist of a drum, a tambura, which is a drone instrument that sort of lends body to it, and then a solo instrument, a voice, a sitar, uh, 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 veena, um, shanai, etc. But they're always solo. And the chords in Indian music that you may find in the movies and so on are strictly something imported from the West. Now, Western music is chordal, you might say. Why? Because both of these cultures are really manifestations of two different views of life. And each one has its own validity. In fact, each one needs the other to become complete. But let's look at them in their separate reality. The Western view of life is all these islands sort of hobnobbing together. And that's why we have chords. There's very much in Western life, uh, the life view of Westerners, a view of all these different people working together. And also we have it on a, uh, our view of life tends to be on a psychological level more than a spiritual level. So on a psychological level too, what we see is all these different psychological traits that need to be brought into harmony. And so we have disharmony like the complexes that a human, human being will have that finally become resolved in harmony. Or the disharmonies that you have between people and uh, I've thought sort of uh, humorously, you might say, of novels. You read a novel and you get all this tension. Boy finds girl, boy loses girl, looks everywhere for her, tries to do what he can to win her again. In the end, boy wins girl. And you think, well, then why bother to read the novel if he's found her anyway? The, the, all that tension didn't really exist. It's all been resolved. Um, but yet, life would be very boring if it weren't for those dissonances. Life would be very sort of monotonous if it weren't for all the uh, dissonances coming resolved in harmony. So Western music uh, 
expresses the great sophistication that Western culture has developed in, on this level of working with other people's realities, bringing all together into a harmonious work, let's say, or taking all the different psychological um, problems that people uh, may have in themselves, their complexes, their suppressed desires, their unresolved ambitions and so on, bringing them all to finally resolve in a, in a, in a major chord, let's say, in a, uh, on the tonic note, everything is fine, like this. The Indian approach, not that they don't in their own lives have the same problems that uh, we do, being somewhat more emotional than at least Americans as a people, they tend to have more of that. But the emphasis of their culture has always been, and that's why their music reflects, the relationship between the soul and the infinite, between each, each individual and God. And there's much more of that sense of the aloneness of each person before eternity, before infinity. Their music expresses that, and they have a greater sense of that aloneness. But you know an interesting thing? I lived in India for several years, and I didn't find loneliness to be that much of, a, of an issue there. They seem to have resolved that because they've resolved something in themselves. I don't mean Indians are necessarily more spiritual or more aware, but there's something in the culture of a country that rubs off even on the least aware of its natives. And so there's something in the Indian mentality. I remember going up to a group of three people in New Delhi once many years ago. It was in the government complex and I was trying to find the home ministry to talk about my visa and uh, I went up to these three people and asked where is the home ministry? Now two of those people were Indians. One uh, was an American and the American, I guess he was trying to win them in the typical American way. Uh, you know the Indians love cows, and I think it's because the cow expresses the Indian mentality. Philosophical, ruminative, calm, motherly, uh, that sort of thing. And Americans love dogs because that sort of expresses the American mentality, sort of wanting to be loved and friendly and so on. So this American there in that little group, when I came up to ask this question, he turned to me like this, sort of, okay, you're on, Jack, you know, ask your question. And the Indians, in a very dignified way, turned, and sort of as if to say, well, what is it you would like to know? And in that little moment, I caught the difference on a cultural, on a superficial level, you might say, but still real uh, to, that to that extent, between these two cultures. The Indian has learned to live in himself. And if you want to overcome loneliness, then the first thing that you've got to do is learn to be comfortable with yourself, not to run away from yourself because you'll never be able to do it. In Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, I remember the loneliness that this person experienced after being at the bullfight, after being all in all those crowds and having all his senses stimulated, and finally it's so late at night that he has no choice but to go home to his room and face those four walls by himself and go to sleep. And the loneliness that he felt, the loneliness that was exuded from those pages in that experience, 
is what people feel when they try to overcome loneliness in an outward way through the senses, through human contacts, through doing things all the time. What we need to do is make friends with this one person whom everyone seems to be trying to escape. We need times to be alone, really alone, not just alone in reality, but not in consciousness or in the recognition of that reality. Alone in ourselves, in the silence, with eternity. Alone, this little being in infinity. Because when we listen to that great sound of the spheres, the music of the spheres, you might say, the Indians would say, listen to Om. And in listening to that, you suddenly, on that level, realize what other people are trying to find on a superficial level. You realize your link to infinity, to the universe, to everyone around you. On that level, you can come closer to the people with you. On that level, I remember a saint in India who was sitting under a tree while walking from one place to another outside a little village where she was completely unknown. And somebody saw her there and just stopped to greet her and decided to stay for a bit. Others stopped, decided to stay. One or two people went and told the other villagers about this person whom they didn't know. And finally there were hundreds of people all gathered around. And when she left, because she was on a, on a trip, they were weeping as if they were losing her, their own mother. How could a complete stranger touch their lives so deeply because she had gone so deep into her own self that that was where her life touched theirs? And in touching them, drew them back, rem reminded them on levels they couldn't even define of the love for which they longed, of the peace that was a part of their own deeper reality, even though they tried to escape that reality, of the joy that was their very being. And so it is that if you can learn to come to peace, come to terms with yourself, learn to understand who you are on this deepest level of reality, you won't know what it's like to feel lonely. It will be to you, it will become for you an absurd word. You can be at peace anywhere you go, whether on a desert or in crowds. And the truth is that it's mostly in crowds that people feel lonely because crowds draw them out of themselves. Go within in meditation every day, and then you will know who you are, and in knowing who you are, you will understand what everything is, who everyone is, and how much a part of their lives you really are.